Welcome to the Self-Care Goddess Podcast, brought to you by me, Rita Savoya, founder of Savoya Self-Care Holistic Wellness. I'm a certified nutritionist and a holistic wellness coach for midlife women who want to rediscover their happier, sexier selves naturally without pills or side effects so that they can thrive as they age. I'm also the creator of the Savoya Self-Care Method, empowering women to nurture heart, mind, and body for transformative results. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help millions of midlife women become their own health heroes. As a woman entrepreneur and a caregiver to aging parents, I fully understand the many responsibilities and generally stressful times women are living through these days, often suffering in silence, misunderstood, and putting themselves last. That's why each week I will be here for you, guiding you on your personal wellness journey, sharing expert advice from thought leaders on natural, practical, and simple solutions to help you thrive during the midlife transition. Get ready to listen to inspiring conversations about all things wellness, nutrition, mindset, mental health, fasting, hormones, menstrual cycle awareness and sinking, ancient healing strategies like meditation, mindfulness and breath work, and spirituality. Every month, I will also be featuring a small to medium-sized business to help spread the word on the amazing work they're doing so we can support them. And now, without further ado, let's get ready to rumble. Happy listening! Hello, self-care goddesses, and welcome to the Self-Care Goddess podcast. Today, I am super excited to have Gina, Dr. Gina DiGiulio here with us today, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to her today. She is a clinical psychologist who obtained her doctorate in clinical psychology at the University of Ottawa and earned a master's in law with a health specialization from Osgoode Hall Law School. Past professions include clinical psychologist at the Royal Ottawa Mental Health Centre, lecturer in the undergraduate and graduate programs at the University of Ottawa, adjunct teacher faculty at Queen's University, and clinical psychologist in the outpatient mental health program at Markham Stouffville Hospital. She has spent the past 10 years working in corporate and executive mental health and was the director of mental health at Canada's largest executive wellness clinic. She has delivered numerous on-site training sessions, workshops, webinars on various topics related to mental well-being, and is often called upon to consult with organizations to help them enhance the mental well-being of their workforce. Currently, she is the CEO and founder of Pathwell, a firm that provides comprehensive workplace mental wellness solutions, including assessment and treatment interventions, training sessions, and consultation services to organizations across Canada. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What an impressive bio. And you are a very busy woman, Dr. Gina. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, really. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Thank you. On this show, we help a lot of women naturally thrive during the midlife transition called perimenopause by embracing self-care. So as you may know, there are numerous symptoms that are associated with the change, such as unexplained weight gain, sleep issues, mood changes, low energy, hot flashes, mental fog, and many, many more. (laughs) And today, Dr. Gina will be sharing some incredible self-care tips that will help our listeners deal with stress and anxiety for better mental well-being, which is so needed these days. So again, welcome. And before we start, I actually wanted to um, allow everyone, our listeners, as well as Dr. Gina, to experience a what is called a quick coherence technique. And the reason why I've decided to include this as part of the podcast today is just because we are under so much stress. And the quick coherence technique is actually from the Heart Math Institute, which they do a lot of research, over 30 years of research on the power of the heart and how to tap into the heart's intuitive intelligence to help us achieve states of calm and also tap into uh, better decision-making, tap into um, having better relationships with obviously ourselves, but also others, 
um, how to self-regulate um, renewing emotions so we're not depleting our energy um, systems. And basically, they are they're big proponents of this. And they believe, which I am so in alignment with, is that a lot of the stress that we are experiencing today, and probably more so because of this these unprecedented times, is because of the lack of alignment within basically our deep-rooted values and how we live those values in our everyday activities and ambitions. And even within our relationships, like if I look back at some of the things that I did in terms of breaking up with my boyfriend is because my values weren't aligned to his and then we ended up not working out. So this sort of out of sync alignment is probably the greatest unrecognized source of stress for people worldwide. And I think more so now um, than ever. So this is actually called a quick coherence technique. And what I love about it is that it's quick, but also you can do it anywhere. So you don't have to be sitting, you know, under a tree with your eyes closed and perhaps legs are crossed to be doing this. You can actually do it on the go with your eyes open. And really I do it anytime I have um, free time. So instead of ladies, you know, looking at your phone, if you're in on idle mode, like waiting for something or in, a, in line or something, you can actually do this to bring yourself back into coherence, right? And why coherence? Because coherence actually um, implies harmony, right? It allows us to connect to the present moment. It helps us to have more efficient use of our energy so we're not depleting our energy. It also recharges our inner battery, which builds resilience. That helps us to, like again, self-regulate our emotions and our behaviors so we're not sort of um, reacting to the stressful situation, we're more responding in a more calm and receptive manner, right? And I want our listeners to kind of experience this. So even like the amazing things that Dr. Gina is going to talk to us about today, I'd love for you to be in a very calm and receptive state so that you can really absorb the, the information that we're sharing with you. So are we ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Let's do okay. this. <laughs> so um, just find a comfortable position. So you could be standing, you could be sitting. Or just uncross your legs and your arms if you are sitting. And focus your attention in the area of the heart. And it also helps to actually maybe perhaps put your, one of your hands there in the heart or chest area. Because, you know, where, where your attention goes, energy tends to flow. So we want to bring that attention to the heart. And we want to imagine your breath is flowing in and out of your heart area. Breathing a little slower and deeper than usual. And finding an easy rhythm that's comfortable. As you continue heart-focused breathing, I invite you to make a sincere attempt to experience a regenerative feeling such as appreciation or care or gratitude for someone or something in your life. And take one more deep breath and out. And that's it. And that's your quick coherence technique. And that again establishes a feeling of calm and ease. How was that, Dr. Gina? That was nice. I love that it is quick, right? It's something uh, that your listeners can do um, really anytime and anywhere really easily. So yes. that's, uh, yes. it's lovely. I feel so relaxed now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it brings us into coherence as well as our listeners. So it's, it's really, really cool thing to do. I do it before I have a really <laughs> maybe a difficult client or a difficult conversation um, or even before I go to bed at night just to kind of calm me down or even in the morning because if I have a very hectic day I'll do it first thing in the morning and I started doing it before meals just to kind of bring in that um, conscious oh, nice. yeah eating nice. yeah it's almost like it's really like a mindfulness aspect to it really exactly. right? it, yeah it compels you to be um, sort of present focused Mm -hmm. right? I love it, which we know when, when people are present focused, I mean, that has anti-stress, right? Anti-anxiety effects. Um, so it's a really nice technique. Interesting that you said that you sometimes do this before you eat, right? Because we know sort of mindful eating is what we should all be doing. Um, as opposed to, you know, how many of us have 
you know, chomp down or chow down food so quickly because we're so busy and, you know, doing 10 different things. And, you know, that's just stressful. So this is a nice way of just re-anchoring yourself to the present um, with whatever activity that you're doing. So that was really lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So before we sort of dive deep into some tips and techniques, I love to hear our guest's story. I think everyone's got such amazing stories. I mean, I'm the person, when she gets into an Uber, she's like drilling the driver for (laughs) her stories. They have amazing stories, right? Why they do what they do and how they end up there. So I'd love for you to share your story. Why are you doing this amazing work? And you've embarked on your own um, as well now. So yeah, tell us your story. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, Wow. Well, uh, if you would have told me, you know, I think when I started my career that I would be doing what I'm doing today, you know, owned my owning my own uh, business with a focus on corporate wellness, I probably would have told you you're completely nuts. So it's funny, though, right? (laughs) Life, you never know where it's going to take you. Um, I wasn't even sure, you know, if I was going to go into psychology. So I was kind of torn in between psychology and law. Okay. Obviously, obviously chose uh, psychology. Um, but, you know, I've always been fascinated, kind of similar to you. I think you're, sounds like you're a natural uh, kind of born psychologist as well. So kind of fascinated by human behavior and why people do what they do. Um, so psychology for me was then kind of a natural choice of study in, in university. And, you know, kind of one thing led to another. Uh, went to grad school. And when I first started my career, I worked in uh, psychiatric hospitals. So I was treating um, sort of the most severe um, people, right, with who were afflicted with severe mental illness, um, after which then I transitioned to working in outpatient um, hospital settings then moved to kind of more general psychology clinics. And then the past 10 years of my life have been spent focusing uh, more on corporate, not exclusively, but uh, I would say primarily um, corporate health and corporate mental well-being. So I've been lucky enough that I've uh, worked with really a variety of different populations and really been um, exposed to and work with people of all levels of severity, right? Ranging from uh, sort of the very, very severe to people who you know, don't have any mental illness at all. And in fact, are functioning quite well. Um, But where, you know, they were looking for more of a a sort of a coaching relationship. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of my sort of somewhat of a, of a resume for you, a quick summary of a resume. <laughs> and very recently, uh, I started my own uh, clinic. So it's called Pathwell, as you sort of kindly uh, mentioned in the bio. And Pathwell is kind of, there's two, two arms to, to the clinic, so two aspects to it. One is a counseling clinic, okay? So we see people uh, really of all ages. Um, we do individual therapy, group, family, um, couples counseling and really treat anyone from really age five to, you know, a hundred. So the full developmental range, um, and the kind of other arm of the clinic is the continuing of what I was doing um, in my previous role, which is the corporate mental well-being piece. So we um, provide consultation services to organizations, to businesses really of all sizes, uh, just to help them uh, with, you know, any uh, sort of issues that they might have in terms of workplace wellness. Um, we help clients, who, you know, businesses, um, uh, I guess, learn more about mental wellness. We provide, for example, um, training, right, on mental wellness or mental illness, what it is, right, what it isn't, uh, and really help businesses to foster better workplace wellness, because we know how important that is, right? For those who are in the workforce, uh, you spend a lot of time at your job, right? And if you are stressed 
or if the workplace is not a healthy one, right, or a toxic one, uh, that can take a real toll on mental well-being and, by extension, performance. So that uh, is what we're currently <laughs> really busy with. Uh, of course, you know, with this pandemic, a lot of people working from home, there are a lot of people who are struggling. Um, and so we're helping a lot of organizations now just to how to sort of better navigate um, this pandemic. Amazing. Yeah, you're doing some amazing work and it's so needed. Wow. So that's mm -hmm. why you're super busy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Amazing. What a really good time to start. You had a really good intuition to start to begin. Yeah, with. I mean, uh, you know, if you, uh, when I tell people, yeah, I started my business in a the pandemic, they, they kind of give you this funny look. They're like, you, you did what? Mm -hmm. And then I say, well, no, I'm in mental health. Oh, okay. I get it. Right. Because yeah. a lot of people are struggling. I mean, we're now coming up to a year really, that we've mm -hmm. been dealing with this, you know, depending on where, where you live, uh, you know, several lockdowns um, later, um, it's been tough, right? Mm -hmm. It's been tough. And a lot of people are struggling, even people who have never um, really had any type of mental health concerns before, right, are struggling. So I'm seeing a lot of, uh, you know, new anxiety, for example, or new depression. So it's certainly, um, certainly been a busy time in mental health. And I can tell you all, all of my colleagues, you know, mental health therapists are saying exactly the same thing. So what do you mean by that new anxiety? Because is there like a standard one or, yeah, can you help? Explain? Um, by new, I mean with people who haven't had a history okay. of anxiety before, right? Mm -hmm. So what this pandemic has triggered uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of people is, well, I would say two things primarily. One is just this general sense of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. Right. So uncertainty around, you know, when is this pandemic going to end? What does this mean for me? Right. Uncertainty around uh, finances, uncertainty around relationships. And the second piece that this pandemic has triggered is really this sense of um, feeling out of control. Right. Because there's nothing that we can really do about it. I mean, there are things that we can do in terms of coping with it, but we can't do anything about the pandemic itself. And that's rendered some people um, really anxious, especially some people, you know, who like that sense of predictability and like that sense of control over their lives. I mean, this pandemic has just thrown that completely to the wayside. Mm -hmm. and, and that can trigger in turn a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. um and you know when after a while just several months of then living with that anxiety then that anxiety can flip into depression which it has in many people oh, i see so i guess the normal progression is have that it's the stress that would cause the anxiety and then the anxiety if it's right. not addressed or taken more seriously and something done something about it that it can cause depression right exactly wow exactly. okay yeah. um so thank god there's people like you doing things <laughs> that you do to help thank us you. Um, to to get through this because we will we will definitely we will we yeah. absolutely will like i said you know there's nothing that we can do in terms of the pandemic itself but there's certainly a lot that we can do um in terms of helping ourselves to cope with everything that's happening yeah, so it kind of reminds me of like, so what I used to coach the executives on is like the three circles of, of control. So there's the stuff you can control, the stuff yeah. you cannot, and then the stuff in the middle that you can influence. And really when people um, are focusing on, when they're very anxious, they're probably focusing more on stuff they cannot control. Right. And so it's bringing, Precisely. right? Yeah. So it's kind of bringing that stuff they cannot control over to either influence or like just park it. Like, don't even like talk about it. Don't even have, don't waste your energy on that because you can't control that. Right. Right. There's nothing so, you can do about it. Right. It's mm -hmm. misguided energy and, and mm -hmm. trying to control something that you can't. It's, it's going to do nothing but further exacerbate and fuel your anxiety yeah. and create this sense of helplessness as well. Yes, yes, which kind of down, down spirals into other things, right? right. Reminds me of this, um, this, I don't know, I guess a meme that worrying is like rocking on a 
rocking chair <laughs> where mm-hmm. it gives you something to do but doesn't get you anywhere you know so yeah. kind of focusing on that stuff you can't control it'll give you something to do but it's not productive at all it's actually right. depleting right. your energy story right. that's often a question that i have my clients just answer for themselves right if they're worrying about something i say well okay the first thing you should be asking yourself is is this thing that i'm worrying about something that i can actually control right because if it's not then you either just have to acknowledge that and move on right or um, find a different way of coping then of this thing that you're worrying about that you can't actually do anything about because it's not within the realm of your control Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and are people really quick to get like what they can control and kind of how to do it or that you find that they're still kind of (laughs) there's a range there's a range right (laughs) sometimes with some people it's it is I get it like it's hard right some people it's really hard for them right to this idea of letting go of control because they equate that with giving up right and so sometimes I need to um, help people especially you know people who um, like are more type a right yeah. very goal driven right mm-hmm. they have a hard time so they they equate um, uh, sort of get, quote unquote you know giving up control again as as giving up and I work with those folks to change those you know cognitions around um, giving up control uh, because, you know, some of the most successful people in life also know when to walk away from things, right? And so even that reframes, like you're not giving up, you're not quitting, you're just walking away from something that you can't actually control. Mm-hmm. Even that reframe can be helpful. Um, but yeah, and some people, you know, get it right away and and even just that simple, you know, question of, is this something that you can control versus not? They you know, they do pretty well with. So there's the full range. Um, some get it easily and some, you know, need a bit more coaching around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see myself being that type. Of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little like that too. So. <laughs> so when, when it comes to, I guess, from a mental health perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges you're seeing from, for women going through the midlife transition? Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, men, men go through transitions as well. Right. But the difference I think for women and what men are, don't really have to contend with is, well, we have all the physiological changes that are happening to our bodies as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So the changes in hormones right, decreases in estrogen, progesterone that cause these then other physical um, sensations uh, that can, you know, even come on, quite suddenly, um, that can be a really hard adjustment to make, right? This is often a period where, you know, we see changes in sleep, uh, uh, decrease in mood, changes in sexual functioning, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think of, you know, the that midlife range, right? To me, that means kind of that 40 to 60 uh, window. There's a lot going on for women during those years, right? This is, there's a lot, right? This is when women are, uh, you know, might be in the peak of their careers or thinking about changing careers. Um, There's a lot going on with families, right? They might have kids and they might have aging parents that they need to, you know, tend to as well. You know, the the so-called sandwich generation. Um, This is when, you know, they might start to experience uh, deaths or significant deaths in their family. Uh, There might be changes in, you know, their finances. So there's a lot between that those are some rich years right 40 to 60 there is a lot going on so in addition right to managing all of that um and then having to contend with changes in you know our own bodies and having to adjust to those as well that can be a lot to to cope with really that um it can be a lot to to manage um tending to all of those things at the same time so what what are some of the mistakes that the women well, that women are making in your opinion when it comes to mental health and mental well-being? Uh, you know, I think women are just natural born soldiers, <laughs> right? They're amazing, um, but they're warriors. But I'd say, you know, sometimes our fellow sisters might uh, be either taking on too much mm. uh, or not asking for help or 
not feeling that they can't talk about how they're feeling, right? There might be some uh, shame, say, you know, associated with uh, feeling really anxious and stressed or taking care of an, an aging parent or, you know, admitting that your kids are driving you absolutely nuts, right? So we have also, I think, women have more stigma um, associated with uh, feeling some of the things that we feel. And therefore, there might be the reticence to then talk about how we're feeling and share with other people who, you know, if we do that, we'll quickly come to see that others are feeling very similarly as well. So I would say that either the the, quote unquote, the mistake, or I think what what women uh, uh, should consider doing less of is just not trying to be that hero, you know, all things to all people. Superwoman doesn't exist, right? That's a myth. Um, and, uh, yeah, and not talking about it or feeling like they can't talk about it and they have to, you know, bear everything that they're feeling and thinking, um, on their own. And I love that. And that's exactly what this podcast, like the objective of this podcast is, is to have like amazing women like you come on and say, Hey, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to say no. I always say if it's not a hell yes, it's definitely a no or not now. Like I don't put myself into situations where even with family now I've come to, to really be comfortable with that, which is hard. It it was hard for me, especially being an Aquarian who wants everybody to love her, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, it it was really hard, but now I know that uh, it'll just put that added stress. And if I commit to something that I know I can't deliver at the quality that I'm used to delivering, anything like a service to a client Mm -hmm. or even just like, you know, be a good listener to a friend. If I'm super stressed or busy with something, I can't really be that good of a listener because my mind will be somewhere else. That's when I know to say no or not now, perhaps. I love that, right? That's the, you know, the old adage, right? You cannot take care of other Mm -hmm. people if you don't take care of yourself first. And so many women, right, that Mm -hmm. I work with um, feel guilty, right? They, they uh, focusing on themselves or taking care of themselves. And it's like, you know, I have to work with them to, to, challenge that and to reframe their thoughts around that. So there is nothing selfish about self-care, but it is actually extremely healthy and it'll better enable you than to do the things that you want to do and take care of others that are really important to you. Exactly. I know a lot of, a lot of women as well. They're like, well, my kids, you know, they come first and I'm like, ugh. That's not the right attitude. But then I don't have any kids and I can't really be like, oh, I don't know about that. So I have to kind of, you know, approach it from a different angle, right? Because I'll be like, what do you know? You don't have any kids. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it feels like. But I'm pretty sure if I had kids, I'd be the same way. I mean, it's just... You know, even the analogy on the on the airplane, they don't tell you to put the mask on your right. kids first. You right. got to put it on yourself in order to help others. So I think, yes, and that's, again, why I'm a big proponent of self-care. And I really want to get my message out there that embracing self-care, like you said, is not selfish. It's almost like an obligation, almost like a, a yeah. duty that we have responsibility in yeah. order to thrive, right? And not only ourselves, allow our family and whoever are people that we're taking care of or people that are around us in order for them to thrive. Like we need to be in the right place. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially now, right. More than ever. It's so important to take care of ourselves. Yes. Yes. So um, even, I mean, honestly, the Greek philosopher Socrates, he was a big proponent of self-care too. He said, it's the restorative power of self-care. And I don't know, we lost that along the way. I'm not sure. We lost many things along the way, but. Uh, <laughs> well, you're here to help us bring it back. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And it's mm-hmm. funny because I think men now take care, mo- take care of themselves more than they used to. And women kind of, I don't know, we were going the other way. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I feel yeah, like there's a lot of men getting manicures, pedicures, doing that whole, um, what do you call it? Those baths, the Turkish baths and <laughs> going away. Like, yeah, I had a friend of mine, he turned 40 and he went away and he started like, to do the Turkish baths and stuff. Not, uh, not too long ago, obviously yeah. before 
when we can still travel. And uh, I was like, wow, when the heck did I like hear of women doing that? You know, leaving the kids at home and going to Turkey and experiencing the real Turkish baths there. Like, I haven't heard that. Right. So, right. So very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as women, I think we've been socialized to put other people first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we have, and, and men do a much better job at um, taking care of themselves, right. And, and their needs and asserting their needs and saying no. Yep. Yeah. And then it becomes expected, right. I mean, you do it for so long and that's it. It's expected that you take care of everybody else and then right. yourself and people don't, right. I, I, I'm sure that people are not doing it on purpose either. They're not doing it intentionally to take advantage of you. They're just, it's so automatic now that you're going to be doing this that they mm-hmm. expect it from you. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a very fine line that, that we need to look after ourselves mm-hmm. first. Absolutely. So I am assuming for sure, I'm 100% sure that there's a connection. And that's, the, you know, really I want to talk to you about the connection between self-care and mental health, right? That I believe it's intrinsically linked but oh. I always wonder which comes first. So, you know, like. <laughs> the whole chicken and egg, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Of course, of course. Well, I mean, one really there, one feeds the other, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have one with the, uh, with the, uh, the other, right? So self-care mm-hmm. is necessary for good mental wellness mm-hmm. and then vice versa, you know, feeling or mentally well, mm-hmm. then I think better enables you, right. To engage in self-care that then maintains wellness. Right. And, and so on. Right. Um, they're, they're so interconnected and you most definitely cannot have one without the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when it comes to what's going on today, and we kind of talked about this in, a little bit in the beginning of the episode, with this whole social isolation, which I think is probably the worst thing you can do when it comes to mental health. Yeah. And, you know, this whole, yeah, you can talk to people over um, a screen, but then there's the, the screen time that people are on now, and that's causing right. a whole new um, <laughs> skew of issues and problems and I laugh because I don't know maybe humor is a way to handle things I'm sure because that's what's keeping me going Um, but you know it's actually quite sad right what's going on with the job losses and for some the loss of loved ones and these are all sort of compounding over the last year and putting the importance of mental health as we talked about earlier is like clearly a priority that everybody should be making time for self-care and mental well-being. So what are some sort of tips and hacks that you can help with our, give our listeners when it comes to addressing stress and anxiety? Oh, uh, well, I mean, a lot, a lot of them. Well, the first is, you know, we were talking about self-care today. Um, It sounds simple, but Mm -hmm. uh, make time. You have to carve out time in your schedule for self-care because, you know, especially with women, with everything, especially in this pandemic and everything that women are doing and having to juggle, um, if you wait for that time of, you know, self-care to magically appear, it's just, it's not going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to proactively make it happen. Like look at your day, look at your week and carve out that time, challenge any guilt again, right. That you have that might be associated with doing that and do that thing that is self-care to you, right. Cause that is so subjective. So that would be my first thing, actually carving out the time physically in your calendar um, for self-care And, you know, self-care, that means different things to different people, but what are the, some of the things that we know that can um, uh, be quite helpful in terms of mental well-being? Well, there's a few. So one is um, the, I mean, you mentioned it. So that social connection Mm -hmm. is so important. And of course, that's been so challenged, right, in this pandemic, especially, you know, for people who have lived in areas that, 
have suffered lockdowns and, you know, restrictions around other people. And, you know, we have now this new term, right, social distancing, which I absolutely hate. Um, I'm always careful to call it physically distancing, right, physical distancing, but it shouldn't be socially distancing because that is so detrimental, as you said, to mental health. And we know that um, isolation and loneliness, right, has just like increased tenfold in this pandemic. Um, and loneliness is one of the major predictors of depression, mm -hmm. which is also why we've been seeing so much more depression uh, lately. Mm -hmm. So where you can find ways of maintaining social connections and and yeah sometimes it's going to have to involve right a screen or a zoom meeting or a facetime but it's certainly better than not doing that at all or just completely withdrawing um uh, you know going on physically distant walks um uh reconnecting with people maybe that you haven't talked to or seen in a while in you know whatever way again that respects you know the whatever restrictions your um, jurisdictions might be under, but finding a way to still maintain social connection and foster uh, positive relationships in your life is really, really important now more than ever. Um, this is a great time to, um, I think, just, you know, evaluate um, life. Like, I mean, you mentioned right at the beginning in your coherence exercise um, values, right? And what happens when our, uh, I guess we have a, a misalignment, right? In terms of values and I guess um, behaviors and what we do. So this is a nice time to just evaluate, I think, what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of self-care might be then, you know, doing something that you've maybe never had time to do or said no to because of, you know, tending to 10 other things in your life or other people. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, a nice, it could be an interesting time to just do something that is meaningful uh, and that feeds your soul, right? That can do wonders for mental well-being. Um, uh, gratitude is also really important, right? During tough times, especially. So thinking about maybe what is going well in your life and what you are thankful for. And, you know, when, when I ask people to sort of think about three things that they're grateful for, people usually come back with, you know, the, the big categories, right? The big general ones. Oh, I'm grateful for you know, my family, my friends, like, okay, but try and <laughs> when you think of gratitude, right, make it as specific as possible. So one exercise I tell my clients to do is at the end of the day, think of uh, three to five things that you are grateful for. Okay. But here's sort of the, the, the kicker is three to five things that you're grateful for that happened that day right? Mm -hmm. That are pertained to that day. Because what that compels you to do is to literally stretch your brain that even when you're having the toughest of days to think about what is actually going well, what it, it no matter how small, right? We can find these little glimmers of gratitude and hope throughout our day. And if we focus on those, um, that will really help us to deal with right something like a pandemic that we can't control right so that can do wonders for self-care and that gratitude exercise right of thinking the three to five things uh at the end of your day that you're grateful for that's sort of not me that actually comes from um the research lab in harvard they actually have a happiness lab mm -hmm. and that has been associated people who do that for 30 days in a row Okay, mm -hmm. has been associated with decreases in depression of 28%. Wow. I right, right? And third, that's like, you know, you get 1% better every day on average. Yeah. Like, that is significant. That can that can move the needle between uh, actually being clinically depressed and not. Right, an improvement of 30% in your mood. And that's just after 30 days. So that's something really simple. I think that, you know, your listeners might want to try for themselves um, as well. Yeah, maybe perhaps set up a 30-day challenge together and we can actually yeah. do it together. So it's at I the end, that. it's at the end of the day when you're in bed. Would that be like the perfect time to do it? Or could, it, yeah. could you also do it in first thing in the morning or it's better at the end of the day? 
I kind of like the end of the day because it compels you to um, think about your day uh, in a different way, right? To evaluate it a bit differently, especially, you know, if you had a tough day. Um, it Again, it kind of forces the brain to think about, it's not thinking positively, but mm-hmm. it's thinking kind of actually more realistically or objectively, right? Which can be really, really helpful when you're having a tough day. And I recommend that clients actually write this down, like keep a a gratitude journal, say, you know, by your bedside, because then you can look at it the next morning and then you can also go back, right? And look, and you'll have pages of on pages of things that you are grateful for. And it can really help to, again, shift perspective, um, especially right when during tough times. Oh my gosh, I love it. And I love what you said. Think about your day in a different way, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's very, very clear. It's very easy to do as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not something like extra. You're literally in bed already. Just take out your pen and just write three to five things, which is not a lot to think of, about for that specific day. I love it because it reminds me of um, the saying that what we appreciate appreciates. So right. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. That. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> oh, no problem. It's not mine, but you can definitely use it. And I'm going to use it. Think about your day in a different way. I like there that. There we go. Rhymes. <laughs> so we'll use uh, each other's. Um, love it. I-, I love that. These are so amazing and super, super um, helpful as well as, I don't know, I want to say easy. And I know, obviously, I'm coming from a different place. But, you know, somebody that's more anxious and maybe perhaps even depressed might not find these as easy to do. But I think for the average person that's probably experiencing this kind of new anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, these are really, really practical things that they can do for sure, especially the carving out, the proactively carving out the time. And I love the physical distancing walks. I've been doing a lot of those in nature. Nice, nice. Yeah, the nature walks. I mean, I'm not a winter person at all. I hate winter. (laughs) (laughs) But what this, um, you know, these times have taught me is just appreciate it. It's gonna, it's gonna end. It won't last forever. It, you know, the summer is gonna come around very yes, soon. Yes. We're gonna have spring. We're gonna have summer, and then we're gonna be back in it again. So, kind of just appreciate yes. it more. And being out in nature has allowed me to do that because you're just like, wow, it actually looks really pretty when the snow's on the ground. There's snow on the on the branches, right? And it really allowed me to appreciate it more. So, nature walks have been my yes. grace. Yes. And they, you know, being out in nature Mm -hmm. has also, right, factually been shown Mm -hmm. um, to improve mental well-being as well. Yeah, I've seen, oh, I'm a proponent of it for sure. I've I've Mm -hmm. experienced it because the times when I was feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to get out of the house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I went out and I came back super relaxed. Like I literally like came back high and like I felt high (laughs) Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. on nature and just like felt a lot more calmer and more relaxed. So I really, really recommend that for sure. Mm -hmm. And um and so, so these are sort of tips on self-care. How about like just sort of general anti-stress, um, anxiety kind of things that our listeners can try during these unprecedented times? I hate saying that, but mm. <laughs> they are. Right? They are. They are. I, I hate they to use that and pivot. I mean, if I have to say it so <laughs> many times this past. <laughs> All these new words that have entered into our lexicon, yeah. right? Yeah. totally totally um right I forgot what was the word of the year last year I think it was oh yeah was it pandemic was it social distancing I think so I think there were a few yeah there was like a top five and definitely all I mean all the ones that you just listed were on it yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Zoom fatigue. I think Zoom fatigue. Right. It's a thing, right? Yeah, right, right. I mean, who would have known? Right, yeah. Zoom fatigue a year ago. I was like, what are you talking about? Now everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of other things that uh, your listeners can try, well, this is, I guess, just picking up on what you were just saying and being outside. Um, exercise, right? Exercise is so important, and 
exercise. Okay. So cardiovascular exercise in particular is the um, type of exercise that is most beneficial in terms of mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Okay. Weightlifting, you know, strength training. I mean, that's great for hundreds of other reasons, but the type of exercise that really makes the biggest, you know, beneficial dent um, on mental well-being is cardiovascular exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that you can do helps, but if we look at the research and what the research says, there's uh, even a, a bit of a, of a formula here. And if you work out uh, three days a week for 30 minutes of where you're doing uh, something of sustained cardiovascular activity. So ideally where, you know, you notice your heart rate is increased and uh, you're breaking a sweat. So that is just as efficacious as taking medication for anxiety and depression. So exercise is literally like medication to the brain. Um, And, you know, for some people just don't love the idea of taking meds, right? Not everybody is a a sort of pro pills, so so to speak. And for those people, especially, right, I always recommend exercise because like I said, it's, it's naturally boosts the feel-good neurotransmitters in your brain. And it's, it is truly like taking medication for your brain. I think doctors, you know, should all be writing prescriptions for exercise. That, that's how well it works for mental well-being. And it's, you know, like going out for a walk. It's not something that has to even cost any money, right? Just go outside, go for walks, just pick up the pace a little bit, you know, make it more of a cardiovascular walk. Um, Anything that you can do in terms of exercise, like I said, helps. Uh, But if you can get to that, you know, three times 30 minute formula, then you are really going to flood your brain again with those feel-good neurotransmitters predominantly you know serotonin dopamine that's really protective uh against uh mental health conditions of any kind wow and that's easy come on 30 minutes that'll that'll fly that's not a Mm -hmm. a long time right Mm -hmm. and three times a week you know, you can do it during the week and have your weekends off. <laughs> yeah, but so. if, you know, your listeners, if I'm sure there's people out there who uh, maybe haven't exercised in a while or maybe not even ever, that's fine. Start really slowly. Mm-hmm. Start five minutes, five minutes. That's mm-hmm. it. It's five minutes more than, you know, what you would have mm-hmm. done otherwise. So, and you can build up to that three times a week times 30 minutes. You don't have to start there, um, but just start somewhere. It can be so, so helpful. And then the other um, thing I would really recommend to your listeners is sleep, right? And regulating sleep, because if there's one thing that I would point to as being the most important, um, sort of the, it's the fundamental building block of good mental health. Mm -hmm. It's sleep. It really is. Uh, and that, you know, sleep too has uh, fallen by the wayside, uh, or at least regular sleep during this pandemic, right? Because if, you know, say people who are working, a lot of people are working from home, right? So they're, sleeping in uh they're uh, going to mm-hmm. bed later right so sleep mm-hmm. is being dysregulated in this pandemic which is not good right so maintain a regular sleep wake cycle you want to aim for those six to eight hours of sleep right everybody's different some people need a little bit more some people need a little less but generally that six to eight window has been shown to um uh, lead to sort of you know, peak performance the next day. Um, and, but you also want to ensure that those six to eight hours are good quality sleep, right? Because you can also sleep for eight hours, but have terrible sleep, right? And so what's going to lend itself to better sleep? Well, having uh, a regular sleep routine, right? So sort of what you do in that hour before bed is so important. Mm -hmm. You need to prepare, right? The body, prepare your brain for sleep, do something that's decompressing, right? Wind it down. I mean, we do this with kids, right? We have a bedtime routine 
things for them. And so why do we stop as adults? Like we're, we're the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. We We prepare them. Totally. Right. (laughs) Which is also terrible. Right. So looking at screens, especially an hour before bed, not good. It's been shown to dysregulate melatonin production, right? Mm -hmm. Melatonin is the, the hormone that we naturally have in our brain that regulates sleep. So essentially if you look at screens before bedtime, the brain is going to be confused and it's going to think that it's daytime. And so it's, um, if even if you do fall asleep, you might have problems falling asleep, but if you fall asleep and you're always looking at screens, for sure, that's been associated with poor quality sleep. And specifically that prevents you from getting into uh, deep sleep, right? That deep restorative sleep where the brain heals itself, repairs itself, right? Where it consolidates the learnings of the day. Um, You are not going to get to that and have the brain truly restore itself if you keep looking at screens uh, before bedtime, right? Exercise as well, right? Lends itself to, to better sleep, right? So be very mindful and careful of what you do that hour before sleep, Um, because like I said, sleep is just, it's the fundamental building block truly of mental well-being. Yeah, I agree. And thank you for that. That was, um, that was very insightful, even how everything's connected. So for example, you can go for a walk or exercise in the morning, maybe, you know, I'm just kind of Mm-hmm. allowing our listeners to imagine what a perfect day would be for mental well-being is to kind of exercise in the morning, go for a walk after dinner, and then like read a book before going to sleep. That would be ideal, right? Because then you're waking up super refreshed. Your your mind's had time to sort of download all of the stuff that happened, restore itself, have this amazing sleep, and you're good to go the next day. But we do this all wrong. <laughs> Right. Like a lot I'm of people so have the of, of this as well, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm watching TV or I'm doing sometimes I'm actually doing some work and but I do have my blue bot blockers glasses. I do put them on as soon as like six, seven o'clock comes on. And okay. even my yeah, even on my phone, it's got like that um uh, blue blocking setting and mm-hmm. on my laptop as well. So I have that covered, but still I'm sure. It's still not ideal, right? It's still not. Yeah, ideal. it's not ideal, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the the research on the blue, you know those blue light glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's iffy right now. It's uh, some studies have shown that they can they can help maybe somewhat. Yeah, uh, but they're not going to completely eradicate. Yeah. Right. The it's it's the blue light, right, that's emitted from the screen that's particularly problematic um, because the, the retina picks that up. Right. And that's yep. the, the signal. Right. That then is sent to the brain that, uh, again, dysregulates melatonin production, which throws off sleep. So they might be uh, again, the, the research is if they might be a bit effective, um, but they're not going to, you know, completely eradicate the negative effects of blue lights. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. But what I do find is when I don't wear them, it is harder for me to fall asleep. So I end up, yeah, when I, let's say I'm out, well, when we used to go out <laughs> and visit people's um, places and I didn't have them on and I'd come home around 10 because usually I put them on around six, right? Six, mm-hmm. seven o'clock. I do find that it's a little bit more difficult to fall asleep. So they might, like you said, do a little bit, but it's not ideal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want people that, you know, to think, oh, I'm going to get these yeah. blue light glasses and, you know, I can watch, you know, hours upon hours of Netflix in bed. Like, no, that doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, that was, I say, I, like, I have those glasses too, but because I, because what I do, I have to be on a screen all day. So um, it might help, especially for those who, you know, again, are on screens because they have to be just to help mitigate some of the negative effects. But yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's not going to completely get rid of the um, negative effects that screen can impose on, you know, sleep, on focus, on concentration, right? Just mm-hmm. on overall well-being. Yes, yeah. So that you're very productive and sharp in the morning and you get your stuff done and you're not tired. You're full of energy as well. It's all related for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually curious because I'm a big proponent of 
well, actually the Savoya self-care method is harmonizing the heart, the mind, and, and the body so that when we actually harmonize these three things, we deepen our self-awareness. And I think, again, just like self-awareness is interlinked, sorry, self-care is interlinked to mental health, self-awareness and embracing self-care is interlinked as well. Because what I found was the more people become aware of what they're eating and, you know, lifestyle habits, like not getting good quality sleep, they're more self-aware of it. And then they become more engaged in rectifying that so they're not eating the foods that are upsetting their stomach or they're not gonna stay out anymore like we used to stay out late like we used to in the good old days um, because we know that the next day we're just out of commission we can't do it anymore right so yeah the more self-aware you are of these of these things the more you are likely to embrace self-care so you know obviously the self the savoya self-care method values a mind-body connection right and it's really a fundamental foundation of how to achieve optimal health because people often ask me you know what can i do to you know have better energy and feel better and you know um, live longer that kind of stuff and i'm like well you need to take care of yourself right <laughs> and in order to do that you need to be aware of those things that are obviously destroying um th that ability to to feel better so right. you I'm can't change what you don't know right in other yes words. yes mm -hmm. i love that yeah so i'm curious like what's your opinion on the mind body connection uh, well you know it, it's funny to even to me say that they're connect like to even say that oh the mind is connected to the body because i just take that as a given, right? They're, they're not separate. They're not separate. Um, but, you know, we used to think that, right? We used to, think, even when I uh, first started, you know, my my undergrad, I had a course I remember called Brain and Behavior as if the two were separate. It was like, what, right? We were yeah. trained that way too. You've got the mind and you've got the body. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, there's this uh, kind of intersection between the two and this interrelatedness, but you know, they're, they're separate, but they're related. And we know today that that's just not true, right? They are one and the same in right. Same system. So mind and body. Yes. If we, if we want to think about the brain as, you know, a, an organ, like an entity in and of itself, kind of like, you know, the ear is or the, the stomach or, you know, sure. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. And um, we know that the brain itself, right, there's a, uh, a strong access, right, that literally an access of neurons that run from the brain to the gut, right? You, mm. you know, right, your listeners might have heard of what they're now calling the, the brain-gut connection, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in other words, what we ingest right and what we eat um is so greatly connected to our mental well-being right and and vice versa right in terms of what happens in the brain vice versa so what our mental well-being maybe our you know mood states if we're feeling anxious if we're feeling depressed can then affect what happens in our gut Right. Mm -hmm. In terms of things like, well, we know, for example, when we're feeling stressed. OK, so in the brain, that would be, you know, manifested as, let's say, uh, you know, the amygdala, which is the seat of emotion in the brain. The um, overactivity in the amygdala has been associated with inflammation in the gut by way of releasing cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Right. Brain stress releases cortisol to the gut inflammation right yeah. mm -hmm. so they're so connected and what a lot of people don't know right is that the gut has the highest um number of serotonin receptors anywhere in the body including the brain mm -hmm. there are more serotonin receptors in our gut than there are in our brain right and for those listeners who don't know serotonin is a neurotransmitter uh, and that uh, serotonin is the neurotransmitter that has been uh, is associated most closely with mood um, so decreases in serotonin for example are associated with both depression and anxiety Okay. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And so serotonin receptors in the gut. So what does that mean? You know, for nutrition, <laughs> what you eat 
is going to affect how you feel. And there's a lot of new research now that's, um, uh, you know, coming out and clearly showing um, that that is true. And we have now, right, uh, diets called mind diets or brain diets, right? And there are certain foods specifically that we know that, you know, if we eat these foods, uh, it can actually uh, sharpen brain functioning, sharpen cognition, and certain foods have actually been associated with um, longevity and are protective mm-hmm. against uh, age-related cognitive decline, right? So yeah. powerful connection, right, between, in this case, brain and gut, but, you know, the, I'm sort of stepping back and to say on a larger scale, mind, body, they're the, they work within the same system, right? They're not separate. I love that. And that's why I like to say that you are truly what you eat. You, you are. So, yeah, you're also what you eat, ate. <laughs> no, what you ate, eat. Uh, no, yeah, what you are truly what you ate, ate as well. So that to keep that in mind, because you're ingesting that stuff too, right? What they ate. So just to be very careful to coming from a nutritionist. Now I'm the nutritionist in me comes out is <laughs> eat as much as um, whole foods as possible, wherever like local and possibly organic. I know that can get a little expensive, but that's why there's certain things that are heavily, heavily sprayed. So they need to be um, organic or at least eat local and in season. That's very important to basically how our grandmothers used to eat or great-grandmothers used to eat, kind of going back to that and just like really sticking. I mean, this is, I know a lot of people have heard this and probably even our listeners is to stick within the perimeter of the grocery store because once you go in the aisles, you are just eating junk. It's just processed food additives, very toxic to your system. So that's super important for sure is, um, is the nutrition piece. Definitely. Yeah. And I would probably add that to, um, helping to deal with stress and anxiety for sure. I mean, I have uh, my brother-in-law who stopped eating, um, stopped chips with MSG and he hasn't had a migraine in, you know, in yeah. years now. And yeah. it's, MSG and I keep telling him. Closely you, connected for sure to migraines. Yeah. It's been shown mm-hmm. to trigger migraines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I keep telling him, do you see the connection? He's like, oh, I miss my Doritos. I'm like, well, do you miss your migraines as well? He's like, no, no, no. I definitely, you know, I don't miss my migraines either. So I'll avoid them. But yes, there's definitely a, a deep, deep connection there. Um, so I know you've shared so many things and um, you're just such an amazing wealth of knowledge and such a beautiful soul inside and out. Um, just in terms of, you know, where can people find you and if they want to reach out, um, what sort of, where can they find you? Sure. Um, they can check out Pathwell's website, mm-hmm. uh, which is pathwell.ca um, or our Instagram, Pathwell Clinic. Uh, for those who are on LinkedIn, you can look me up there as well, both under Pathwell and just my name, Dr. Gina DiGiulio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would uh, feel free to send any questions my way. Would uh, love to hear from your listeners. And, you know, these are tough times, right? There are a lot of people that are struggling. And yeah, if we could be of help in any way, um, we would love to, you know, to be able to do that for you and to help you, if not through therapy, because not everybody, you know, has access to that or can afford it. Um, we can certainly, you know, point you in the direction of uh, some free resources as well. They're out there. Um, but, but yeah, tough times for sure. And maybe that's one thing I'll leave your listeners with is um, this is not the time to also, you know, strive for <laughs> perfection, be kind to yourselves. Mm. We have all been dealing with with a lot, everything that you're feeling, if it's, you know, anger, frustration, uh, some of you might feel happy um, because maybe, you know, you're spending more time with loved ones and that's a good thing for you. Some of you might feel irritated because you're spending time (laughs) with loved ones, right? All this to say, it's all normal. It is all fine. Let's be kind to ourselves, right? A little self-compassion here um, goes a long way. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful words. Thank you for wrapping that up for us. Um, so lovely. And thank you again so much um, from the bottom of my heart for joining the Self Care Goddess podcast because it's, you know, conversations like these that help our listeners empower, get feel empowered to discover like such beautiful, very practical mental well-being tips that you shared with us and helping us like thrive in these un unprecedented times there i said it i said it. you couldn't not say it <laughs> during these strange times and um, yeah in pursuit of good health and mental well-being and vitality and happiness as we age and we go through this transition transitionary period called perimenopause so thank you thank you thank you so much for joining and it's been a pleasure really really fun to talk to you and I can't wait to have you back on the show thank you really thank you for having me I I love what you do and I'm sure you'll also be helping um, a lot of people as well thank you I appreciate that take care thank you bye Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking part of your day and sharing it with me by listening to this amazing podcast episode. I would also like to thank our sponsors, St. Lucian Seamoss. Check them out and get some awesome Seamoss at www.stlucianseamoss.co. If you enjoyed this podcast and it was helpful, please share it with your loved ones or a friend and check out SavoyaSelfCare.com for more amazing wellness tips. Please also leave us a rating now on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot and send it to info at SavoyaSelfCare.com. We will reply with a gift as a grateful thank you. If you want to upgrade your healthy living and take it to the next level, be sure to join us next week. And remember, self-care is not selfish, it's self-love. Ciao for now.